Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Howdy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 4, which is titled Last Call. The episode aired on October 17th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well, first off, the World Series is set as the New York Yankees and Atlanta Braves win their respective division championship series. Madonna gives birth to her first child, a name I cannot pronounce, but will try. I Nope, I'm not going to try. Um, anybody else want to take a stab at uh, that? Lord Maria Chacon. Chacon. I'm thinking CH sound for that one. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's Leon or Leon. Something like that. I don't know. She's got four, four names. names. She's pushing it. Yeah. It's her first of six children. We'll call so. her Maria. It's fine. Yeah. Um, White people are still awkwardly dancing everywhere as Macarena by Los Del Rio remains the number one song. And The Ghost and the Darkness takes the number one spot at the box office. And what else is on this week, Daniel? Yeah, so this is another little mini segment I want to try out here of uh, not only talking about what was going on in the world 24 years ago, but what was what else was on NBC that particular night? Because uh, I'm sure if you were watching ER, you were probably watching some of the other things on that channel leading into it. Uh, so like at 8 p.m. that night, for example, we had Friends. Uh, they aired the one with Frank Jr. In this episode, Phoebe's half-brother Frank Jr. visits, but his quirky behavior makes bonding difficult. And Joey builds an apartment unit that is too big for the apartment and annoys Chandler. That is the most sitcom-ass, like, premise for I rem- episode. <laughs> I remember that episode. I think I do, too, yeah. Uh, in slightly ER-adjacent news, at 8.30, we have the eminently rememberable uh, The Single Guy, which... I'm, if you can't tell, my tongue is firmly planted in cheek there because uh, this episode or this series rather is completely forgettable. However, it does co-head, co-main star, co-star, whatever, uh, Ming-Na Wen. So oh. this is what she was doing between ER stints, I guess, this this and Mulan. Uh, so she plays the main character's best friend's wife keep track of that okay so uh her character's name is trudy so uh in this episode the strip club jonathan and marie look for employment at a temp agency meanwhile sam hides the truth from trudy when she when he visits a strip club god multi-camera sitcoms are dreadful like just reading these plot descriptions (laughs) i'm like good god um it was also another fun fact about that series it's one of the highest rated canceled series of all time it was consistently Mm, it was consistently fourth or fifth in the nielsen ratings predictably because it was wedged between friends and seinfeld like so it kind (laughs) of it had the best possible lead in on both sides um but it wasn't very good by all accounts uh from what i've read it just got very like kind of very nothing reviews it was not well received um but then at 9 o'clock, you have Seinfeld with the package, where a mysterious package arrives for Jerry, and Elaine is curious about what the doctors are writing in her records, and George tries to hit on the cute girl at the one-hour photo place. And I just need to make a note about this episode of Seinfeld. If any of you are familiar with like Seinfeld memes that go around on the internet, it is this picture of George oh. is what he uses. Daniel, I'm going to show this, and it's going right. to be a poor thing. This is the photo of George that he's oh, using yeah, yeah, to hit yeah. on the woman in the one-hour photo place. So that place. was that episode. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. So it's the one with George posing like a tiger in his underwear, trying to, um, by having the one-hour photo woman develop his saucy pictures, hopefully she will become <laughs> interested in him. 
That's... So it's it's one of my favorite Seinfeld images ever, and I love it. That's so awesome. it's one of those just out of the blue late Seinfeld season eight episodes where it's something you wouldn't think much of, but then you look at the images from it and you're like, oh, it's that one, which is pretty much every Seinfeld episode ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I'm interested in this too, is like seeing how this lineup changes over time because ER mm-hmm. is so enduring and it's going to stay in pretty much the same time slot the whole way. So I'm interested to see kind of how the, the moving parts change around And Obviously friends is going to be with us for a while, but Seinfeld's only got a f- couple of years left before they go off the air. If that, and then, uh, eight that eight thirty slot with the single guy there. I think I read they get canceled somewhere in ninety seven. So we know we're getting a new show. Yeah, there. Seinfeld's done next year. Seinfeld wrapped in ninety seven. Yeah, so we're we're getting very very close to some changes with this lineup. Um, but finally, before this episode of ER, you've got nine thirty p.m. with Suddenly Susan, the episode titled Hoop Dreams, where when Vicky recruits Susan to fill in for an ill basketball player on her team, she doesn't realize Susan might become the main attraction. Good God, sitcoms in the 90s. Thank God we're not reviewing one of those because these plot threads are. Well, Daniel, we could on the pilot. We could. See, that's the other thing. This is kind of like a backdoor entry into our future. <laughs> it's a backdoor pilot. It's a backdoor for the pilot. pilot for the pilot, yes. But uh, getting into our more regular stuff here, we've got 32.9 million viewers tuning in for this week's episode. Uh, This week's episode is directed by Rod Holcomb. This is his third of six episodes that he would direct, including the series pilot or the series premiere and the series finale. Uh, So he didn't direct too often, but this is one of them. Uh, The episode was written by the team of Samantha Howard Corbin doing her first of six episodes and Carol Flint doing her fifth of 14 episodes, including from last season, the excellent Fevers of Unknown Origin and Baby Shower. So uh, before we get into the episode proper, we have our obviously our previously ER, previously on ER uh, segment, uh, this time with Carter's voice. And also I noticed maybe it's just because we're watching on Hulu, but the previously on ER segment is in full screen, and the episode itself is obviously in widescreen. That may be something that's worth pulling out the DVDs to check and see. Just, yeah, just maybe. on a lark to see yeah. one episode if it's different. Because yeah. part of like the thing that we're doing, obviously, is we're going back and watching on Hulu because it's the first time it's available in high definition. Because, goddammit, Warner Brothers put this out on Blu-ray. I will buy that, they'll buy that in a heartbeat. Yes. Yeah, and it looks beautiful in HD. So It's aged very well in HD. Yeah, exactly. Um Lots, lots of older stuff has. Except so. for Buffy. No, that's because they keep fucking with it. I know. So they that's keep that's a whole other. That's a whole other. <laughs> they keep messing with the aspect ratio and the and the clipping of yeah the OG yeah, footage. Just little thing I noticed. Yeah. Because Lizzie catches these things and I don't. <laughs> um, and then we go in to the actual episode. We start with a mysterious door opening and a woman's silhouette falls over Doug's sleeping body. And it's clearly a one-night stand. She's trying to sneak out of the apartment, didn't want to wake Doug, and can't figure out the locks. So Doug gets up to help her out anyway. And clearly they don't know each other at all. They knew each other biblically, but they do not know each (laughs) other. Um, She's clearly still wasted. And he offers to call her a cab and then just realizes she's way, way past wasted and decides that he's just going to drive her in her car instead. And we don't get a name for his date here until later in the episode, uh, but this is kind of the main time we actually get to see her talk and move around. So uh, we'll note it here that his date here is played by an actress named Lisa Dar, who you might recognize from movies like Gods and Monsters and This is 40. And I'm just going to say right now, this was a rough episode for me, gang. I can't even imagine (laughs) why. We'll get there, but 
Yeah, we'll get the we'll get there. We'll get there not too, not too long. Um, but for now, we go over to the admin desk at the ER proper and sort of the, talking about the fallout of uh, Carter's building burning down. And you know, he's he's living out a suitcase. But you know, Carol jokes, "Oh, it's a Louis Vuitton suitcase." <laughs> yeah, you're fine. The yeah. help puts too much too much starch in his uh, doctor's coat. Yeah, <laughs> the maid at his house is a little bit aggressive with his with the dry cleaning there on. Uh, Find out Carter now lives in Oakbrook with his fam with his folks. Uh, but Doctor Gant, being the bro that he is, offers him a room at his place, which is only a couple minutes away from yeah. the hospital. Um, where is Oakbrook in relation to Chicago? Uh, north, north, like like further, pretty far north. I thought I thought they said Oak Park at first. They said Oakbrook. Yeah, but Oakbrook, I think it's it's north. Ah shit! I'm gonna I... get this wrong, and someone's gonna. And s- <laughs> please correct me. I'm t- on Twitter at random gamer. That's J A M. I'm on the Google. Um, I'm pretty sure it's either due north or no- or north and west, and a little bit west. So, but more importantly, uh, either way, is it the rich people area. Let's yeah, yeah, okay. it's it's a well-to-do area. So, um, but another consequence of Carter's apartment burning down is that the slides for Benton's lecture, big lecture that he has coming up today or you know it's still kind of overnight when they're ta- when they're talking but you know the next morning uh we're in the apartment so they are they're toast mm. hate to see it oh no so then we cut over back to doug where he is uh driving the woman home and as he's doing this she starts to have a seizure in the car and lauren mm. and lauren's dread begins in earnest uh, it's when she's she's laying with her head to the side and she's just like you see her do a motion that is all too familiar to me internally and I've seen my sister do it too where she just kind of has that oh shit puts her head to her puts her hand to her head because she I think it's her displaying the aura mm-hmm. she can feel it coming and then all of a sudden we start seeing it by if I recall correctly I had my face in my hands for this but we see her hand reach and touch Doug's arm, and at first he thinks she's just drunk and messing around, yeah. and then it reveals that she's gone into a full um, tonic-clonic grand mal seizure. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, are, aren't tonic-clonic and grand mal seizures different things? No, they are actually the same. It was a change in terminology that was made. They used to be called, they used to be referred to as grand mal but they changed to be referred to as tonic-clonic to discuss the actual motion of the tonic and clonic phases of oh. the muscles mm. contracting and relaxing. The more you know. Right? Yeah, so it's they've all, they're also known as generalized seizures. And please, if there are any other epi- um, listeners with epilepsy, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I only know what I know because of my own experiences with my diagnoses. So if I screw anything up, please re- reach out. Let us know. I want to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. So but... these are what you have then? Yes. Okay. As you would recognize. Okay. Yeah. It looked familiar. It did, as a matter of fact. Unfortunately. How... This, and I will say this. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to no, ask. I was gonna ask. How does it rank or how does it compare with some of the other ones we've seen? I would say, honestly, this is probably one of the better ones I've seen because there's that rhythmic. Um, I just almost mimicked it, but there's that very rhythmic contraction and relaxation that she has it's not over the top it's not um and again everybody's seizures look different Mm -hmm. but as far as a performative seizure done by someone who is not seizing i would say it's one of the better non-exaggerated ones it's still horrifying to watch 
as somebody with epilepsy, but it's not, um, it's not over the top. Yeah. Cause there are some that I see patients doing where I'm like, really? Like, you clearly don't have any no, understanding one, um, my, my sister, my sister and I's dark humor. I think we would both give this one a nine out of 10. <laughs> okay. Um, I should, I should say my sister has epilepsy too, so we can get away with it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I would say it's it's a fair representation. Okay. This the the, the more uncomfortable I am to watch a, a seizure on screen, the more accurate the presentation probably is. That, that makes sense. <laughs> so, Doug does end up bringing her into the ER where uh, she is in status epilepticus, which is a seizure lasting a uh, single seizure lasting more than five minutes or two plus seizures within five minutes without return to normalcy between. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Okay. Uh, so nailed it. Carol asking that because they're all surprised to see Doug show up. He's not due to be on shift until noon. So uh, Carol is asking him, "Where did you find her, Doug? What is her name?" And he responds, "My house, and I don't know." And that brings us straight mm-hmm. into the intro with the bangiest bangs that have ever banged. This whole like I think this is yeah. the, this is the episode that the bangs were designed for. I think this type of intro, yeah. And I should point out that um when when there's that wake up sequence earlier in the episode, it's six a.m. Yeah. So yeah, Doug's not supposed to be in for another like six hours. Um, but then we go back and we check on our Jane Doe and they mentioned that the seizing is burning her up. Um, just probably from the sheer overexertion of muscular activity because she's been seizing for 30 minutes. Yeah, I say our fever's at 106 now, I believe. Oh, I think 104, 106, you'd probably be dead. Oh. Well, well. <laughs> okay, fair. That's fair. But yeah, so it's essentially just from the sheer repeated muscle activity and everything, she just she's overworking her body and her brain isn't functioning correctly to have it um, have the thermal regulation that you would typically have because it's so on overdrive that it can't regulate itself. Because a seizure is rapid firing of neurons in a way that disrupts normal brain patterns which is why you get the muscle jerking and everything. So yeah, she's unable to regulate. She's got a huge fever. She's been seizing for 30 minutes, which is incredibly dangerous. That's why you go to the hospital for anything over five. Like, (laughs) this is bad, guys. This is really serious. So they mentioned that because she's been in status for so long, they're going to try putting her in a coma since nothing else they've given her has worked. Okay, on that happy note, uh, we switch over. We do we do the hardest of hard pivots over into the aforementioned surgical conference with Carter and Benton. Uh, Carter gets there, but he doesn't have time to tell Benton that there are no slides to the presentation. Benton is actually presenting the you know stuff. He is actually presenting the information, and Carter's supposed to be operating the the slide machine uh, in very nineties fashion. Um, <laughs> And it's a very visual, it's a very visual, awkward comedy mm-hmm. uh, bit between the, between the two of them. And yeah, uh, Ant Spa is less than thrilled with the two of them. I also like Ant Spa's thing before Carter runs in where he's like, all right, guys, we got to look professional. We're going back to um, <laughs> shirts and ties when you're not on surgical, like when you're not in the OR, you got to be in a suit and tie type thing. And ladies, I trust you'll dress appropriately to par. Yeah. Because <laughs> a- Abby's like, um, ladies, I, yeah. like, what are the women going to do? And then Carter barges in and scrubs. <laughs> and screws everything up. Did, did it seem like a, like a 
bit of a mischaracterization to have Benton be so awkward while he's giving that presentation? No, I don't think so. Because he, I would say since Abby is there, he's got his new fellowship. Yeah, that's true. Um, he is presenting to peers, not to students. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think this makes sense. Because this big, is a career lateral. Yeah. A big part of this episode is him getting a dose of he's not the hottest shit in the world. Very true. And I think this is part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. I, t- to me, I just figured like, yes, he needs work with, uh, his communication skills when it comes to patience and stuff. But it seemed to me like my head canon would dictate that like it's Benton. Like anytime he has a chance to impress people that he wants to impress, he's going to, you know, knock it out of the park. But you're right. It's yeah. kind of, it builds into the overall theme of his, his right. arc. For the and episode. again, it's, it's not a surgical skill here that he's practicing. It's an interpersonal skill. Right. Yeah. And what is De- Benton great at? Not interpersonal <laughs> skills. True. Yeah. And so. this point does come up again, you know, this point does come up again in future storylines where it's like, he's obviously he's, he's a wizard with the, uh, sort with the actual, like in the operating room stuff, but he just falters so hard at like the research, the, the peer conferences, the different yeah. stuff like that. Like, this is not the last time we will see this type of. Uh, thing come back to bite him in the ass we don't maybe don't necessarily see it too much more late as we go on but it definitely comes up like i'm remembering specifically like when he's interviewing for the attending for an attending oh, position God. with romano yeah later on yeah we have so much show to go through gang we sure do. <laughs> so we go back from there uh the jane doe from earlier is she is finally stabilizing uh, so we get a break from that for a moment when we find Carrie and Mark talking about a pilot study that is going to be beginning uh, in the ER today uh, where they're going to be splitting up the surgical and medical patients. So uh, the plan is that Mark will be taking all the medical cases and Carrie will be taking all the surgical cases. And as per usual, Mark is skeptical about this idea and Carrie, is, it was her idea. So And she presented it to Onspa. He approved it. So it's kind of her baby. So this is another little side plot that we'll kind of carry through the whole episode. You know, they're they're interrupted by the fact that uh, Jane Doe is seizing again and they try to paralyze her. And we move on from there. And then in case this episode couldn't get any more sad, we go to Jeannie in the bathroom and she's sitting on the toilet, um, clothed, completely just just <laughs> a nice quiet. I should note, nice quiet place um, waiting for her watch alarm to go off. And then she sits and takes her medication. Um, she's clearly not feeling well. She's got her head in her hands, just looking like hell. And then um, we see Connie come into the bathroom, and she's like gossiping. Like, oh, did you see the the um, the woman that Doug brought in? Like, oh man. And then she looks at Jeannie. Is like, oh my god, you look like shit. And she's like, oh, it's just the autumn. It's just my allergies. Cause she just dabs the sweat off her forehead. So proper. It's like, oh, Jeannie, you sweet baby. Yeah. And then after that, we go over to uh, our first audio clip of the episode. We have uh, Carter is doing his best to suck up to Benton and apologize. And they are joined by Dr. Keaton. Dr. Benton, I just want to apologize again for the slides. Did you replace them? Not yet. Well, get busy. Dr. Ansbaugh was kind enough to reschedule the lecture for tomorrow morning. Tomorrow? Is there a chance? Bye-bye, Carter. Oh, the infamous Dr. Carter. We haven't been introduced. I'm Abby Keaton. Pleased to meet you. 
Uh, this morning was totally my fault. Oh, it was a godsend. May, may I join oh, you? Oh, yeah, please. No offense, Peter. Oh, thank you. No offense. I, I love a nice, juicy gut lecture, but your intern bought me an extra half hour for my dictations. So, what did you think of Laura Lee, Dr. Carter? Who? Does Dr. Benton keep you so busy running the projector that you don't have time to follow up on cases? Uh, the, uh, film showed a, uh, dilated cecum, and she's at risk of perfect. She's in 203. Why don't you two go down, meet her, answer her mother's questions, and then bring her on up to the OR? Oh, you know, uh, I can do it myself. Mm, bring Dr. Carter along. I guarantee it'll be a real learning experience. Okay, first off, I need to note I'm very proud of us that it took us 11 minutes to get our first audio clip this time. <laughs> like, that's a record. A second, I love how Abby's like, oh no, it'll be a learning experience. Like, she knows yeah. what's about to happen. And also just, it begins. What? Uh, Car the whole the whole through, through line of Carter outshining Benton when it comes to pediatric surgery. Ah, uh, yes. In what, in what is... Uh, Dr. Keaton considers the most important part of yeah. the whole of the whole deal. Well, and the I, patient relation part. And I also like how she cuts Carter some slack and is like, "Hey, no thanks. You're do you saved my ass and gave me some more time to work on my stuff." Like, she tries to find a positive in it. I really do love Dr. Keaton. I really wish she'd hung around longer than she does. I'm liking what I've seen so far. Also, I would like to note that we have not seen Hicks in a while. Nope, we sure haven't. But she is still around. Like we said, she she's not gone, gone until I think early, very early season four. So we she's still around, but obviously it's becoming less frequent. Uh, yeah. So we go from there to Doug going through the woman's car and he finds a mystery paper in the glove compartment and seems very enthralled by it. So he goes goes to run back inside to bring that in as he's passing by the desk. Jerry asks how she's doing he kind of blows him off and runs past to the trauma room to give them her name and just before he can get in there mark stops him to tell him that his date is dead so things have gone from bad to worse now and i i'm sorry i just i wanted to note something with status epilepticus that i just remembered um it used to be that us it wouldn't be counted as status until it was over 20 minutes of seizing jesus wow yeah, and they they finally have shortened it because most seizures, like within the range of like acceptable convulsion length for grand malls, mm -hmm. are like two minutes. So if it's over five, something's wrong, and you need to get to a hospital for monitoring. What the hell? Brains are weird. Yep. And then we have a little bit of a time skip in the to later in the day, and uh, Mark runs into Doug in the lounge, and you know. He's confused because they thought Doug was taking the day off. And let's listen to their conversation. I thought you'd gone home. The shift starts in five minutes while they go home. Just thought you wouldn't be up for working today. I feel bad for what happened to her. But if you are in some way suggesting that I am responsible... No, I, I just thought I, maybe you were upset. I guess not. Don't confuse me, Mark. Does it come as a big shock to you that I was intimate with someone who I've been less than soulmates with? Doug, you didn't even know her name. The talk screen came back. Did you know she tests positive for cocaine? No. I mean, you, you think I would have withheld that? I hope not. That's right. No. 
You were together all night. She tested positive. You think that I did cocaine? Is that what you're really asking me? Should I ask? You want a sample? You want me to piss in that mug right now? Would that satisfy you? Use a specimen cup. You want to watch? Just send it to the lab. Mark, we got a three-year-old one on a bender with a bottle of dandruff shampoo. You want, you want me to wait for Doug? No, I'll handle it. Mark, Doug lives his own life. Yeah, that's kind of the problem. I I'm just saying we can't live it for him. I'm sorry, the idea of doing cocaine with seizures just horrifies me. That's where I'm stuck on. But. Yeah, it's not that we... Here's your hot health tip for the day, <laughs> folks. If you have epilepsy, don't do cocaine. She was living fast and free with or without the epilepsy. She was she was a firecracker, yeah. it sounds like. Which, what, what was the name that we finally got for her? Was it Nadine or... Nadine. Nadine, Nadine Wilkes, Wilkes, I think. Yeah, that was the, the name of his, his date. Oh, boy. Yeah. But uh, so, like, different kind of good uh, Mark and Doug work there than we're used to. Yeah. Like, obviously, we're used to the buddy-buddy stuff with them. This was a much darker, much a more adversarial, and, like, I don't know. Like, th I feel like this is definitely something that comes up more and more with Doug as we, we get deeper into his time on the show is him, him kind of in that position where he has clearly done something that was at best questionable and, you know, if could definitely drift over into the unethical, whether it be professionally or personally. Um and him having to answer for that to various people and just seeing him play off of Mark in that different way here was, I think really good. I, I enjoy that scene quite a bit. It's very powerful. Yeah. Clooney in general is doing a lot of heavy lifting this episode. Like this is, a, this is yeah. when he's a like Clooney ass episode. When he's like, do you want me to go piss in that mug? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a very objectively kind of silly line, but like he really delivers it well. Well, and the thing that kind of frustrates me with this is we've known since episode one, season one, that Doug Ross is a womanizer and a drunk. Like, yeah. that's how they characterized him the very first episode. Why now season three, episode what, four? Mm -hmm. Why is it the only reason it's coming as a shock to anybody is because they actually had to see his dirty laundry. Yeah, and I think I just want to point that out. You're you're right, and I mean I think so. I think part of that is, and this is kind of what we touched on in the season three premiere. I think was that we were sort of taken aback and sort of like why like there, remember that there was that whole thing with I think Gretchen was her name, like was the the woman's name. Yeah, and we were all sort of struggling and kind of trying to come up with a reason for why they would even bother to bring it up. And I think mm -hmm. what it is is that they did such a good job in season two of kind of hiding his shortcomings character wise. I mean, he right. most, for the most part, he stays away from Carol. He gives her her space. We see him like pal around a little bit with uh, the flight attendant and right. of, like, but it's all like lighthearted fun stuff. He never really like, there's never really any examination of his behavior and the drunk thing. They, they kind of dropped the drunk thing after like the second or third right. episode of season one. So that, that right. really hasn't come Less up in a while. Yeah, last season was all daddy issues. Right. The flight attendants and what's-her-face. Yeah, Karen. So yeah. they, and somebody brought this up, one of our listeners brought this up after that, I, I think we, after that conversation we had in the first episode where they were saying, give it time. Like, it'll make sense after you get to his arc in Last Call. 
And they were right, right because now having rewatched this, it does sort of, they were clearly trying to bring those aspects of his personality back to your forefront and trying to bring those back into your focus so that when you do get to this point, right. it doesn't seem so out of, because imagine if we hadn't had those last couple of interactions with Gretchen and with the uh, radiologist from the last episode. Like if we hadn't have seen those aspects of Doug's personality, like, yes, it wouldn't have come as a huge surprise that something like this happened to him, but it would have felt like it came out of left field. Right. You know, whereas this, I feel like is at least they made some attempt to try to set this up. So credit due to them for that. For sure. We go from there to uh, up to the OR um, or I'm sorry, they're coming up to the patient's room to take her to the OR. Uh, and as they're walking in, Carter tells Benton that uh, he's under the impression that Dr. Keaton has invited him to assist Benton and Dr. Keaton on the colostomy that they're going in to set up for. And Benton says, well, that's because she doesn't know you're going to be too busy in the photo lab doing my scout work. So <laughs> no, know your place, Carter. Uh, but as they as they uh, enter the room, the patient is a very cranky young girl who is trying to leave and uh, stops in the door. Carter manages to stop her in the doorway um, through some like really strange like banter about her high school. She's wearing like a high school like yeah. Letterman jacket, and so he uses that as fodder to to get at her and get on her good side. So uh, you know, like like Lizzie said earlier, it's kind of the first example of seeing where Carter s- surpasses Benton. You know, he he might not be able to surpass Benton on a surgical level, but he can definitely do it on a patient to patient. Uh, personal level and this is kind of well how could he surpass her or how could he surpass him on a surgical level when he's never allowed in the goddamn that's also true very very true (laughs) yeah and it's also worth noting that when benton tries to uh calm the girl down he's like do you want to die yeah because this is how you die yeah he's this is how you get ants he's he's yeah he's not good at it at all but uh did either one of you recognize our young patient here because she is someone she looked she looked familiar, but I couldn't place it in the moment. And now that I'm seeing your list, I have one other to add once you're done. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Laura, our patient here, or Laura Lee, I think is her full name. Um, she's played by actress Mina Suvari, who was a few years off of her kind of peak of her fame. She she must be pretty young here, um, probably no more than like 15 or 16, because in three years time, she will be the star, one of the stars of the uh, kind of double builds. Uh, I think they came out the same summer or the same year, at least American pie and American beauty. And that was kind of the peak of her uh, stardom. But uh, Lauren sounds like you have another one to add to the list. Nope. I was wrong. I mixed her up with the other girl in American beauty for who else she was. I was thinking she was the young girl from Hocus Pocus for a oh, second. Thora so. Birch. Oh, Thora Never Birch. Mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Thora Thora Birch. Birch. So I was wrong. Never mind. Never mind. But yeah, she was in American pie and American beauty. And then like, I did see where she did a voice in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, so she she also did um, some um, some spots in American Horror Story. She exclusively acts in things with American in the title. Yes. So then from there, we go over to E. Ray and Jerry at the admin desk. Yay, E. Ray. And they're talking about classes at uh, Malcolm X Community College. And we find out E. Ray is teaching a yoga class. And um, while they're there, Doug is trying to find out if Nadine has ever been admitted to the hospital before, if she had any pre-existing admissions or conditions, like just trying to find something that this is not his fault. And then um, from there, we find out that a a 12-year-old gunshot wound victim called Shamrock is being brought in by EMT Lynn. 
then after that uh we we see genie is on the phone in that weird little like phone booth room that they have <laughs> the built-in there. phone booth room talking and talking to presumably either a nurse at her doctor's office or her doctor herself. she says doctor um, i think at the, I think she says dr d yeah, yeah, I, I imagine it's probably the lady she talked to a couple episodes ago the one that didn't get a name yeah at the uh hiv clinic that she's going to up in highland park um and uh just talking about not she's having she's incredibly nauseous from her medications uh, and then carrie interrupts her and passes off a patient to her um and the nurses are drawing tongue depressors to see who gets to treat the guy into who is genie's patient uh because one of his co-workers is fine do you agree with this uh uh evaluation i think he's a beautiful man <laughs> Daniel? I would lo- I would let him take me out to a class. I, I forget, in a I forget how they described him. Like he's a combination of like Richard Gere and some Robert, Robert Redford, Redford, which like he definitely has and Patrick, and, and Patrick and, Swayze. No, and Randy Quaid. Which no, it's Dennis not Quaid. Randy Quaid. It's not Dennis, Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Okay. Randy Quaid would be funny. Randy. No, uh, I mean Oops. he's he's definitely got you know handsome guy tm you know like he's the standard like mold for a ken doll you know like it's yeah. yeah not 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 my type for for boys but he's he's like daniel said handsome guy tm i can yeah. see yeah. it but not my type but wendy is the lucky winner yes yes so she she which we haven't seen wendy we in a while, it, and we, we? Won't, we no. won't see her much longer unfortunately she's gone before the end of this season no. we'll have to address that but um so Mr. Uh, so the patient that they're going in to talk with, uh, the guy with the ankle fracture, uh, Mr. McKenna, uh, did either one of you recognize him? I, I, I thought I recognized him, and now that you say it's him, I know. I yeah, obviously that, I recognize again looked the name. looked familiar, but couldn't place yes, him. That was a very young Jerry Gergich from Parks and Rec. Oh, uh, actor Jim O'Hare. Uh, so the, this like it was it was instant as I was watching. I was like, it's Jerry, and he's so young. Like he has black hair and everything. Like it's bizarre. Um, so yeah, he's playing the the actual patient with the ankle fracture, and this is I think his only scene. We don't really we we he gets referred to a lot, yeah. but we never actually see him again. Uh, but his friend, Mr. Handsome Man, uh, Mickey is his name, played by an actor named Brian Wimmer, uh, who appeared in such films as Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Flipper. <laughs> so then we cut over from there to Mark flipping through the phone book as Carrie approaches him about Nadine's cocaine results and subsequently what the she muses or, or wonders out loud about Doug's blood alcohol slash cocaine results because uh insinuates insinuates, yeah because doug has taken a cocaine he has you know provided a sample for a cocaine test which came back negative but he did not uh submit to a blood alcohol level so that's a point of contention for not only carrie but doug as well because doug seems to think that you know he, I, I can't remember if it's here or a little bit later, but like he makes mention at one point, like we, you and I have gone out for margaritas until two in the morning many times. He's like, "Did you check your blood alcohol level every time the next morning when you came into work?" Oh. Like it's so not great. But I, I do love how she's like, "Well, you might want to care because he's putting a chest tube in a twelve-year-old." <laughs> I do like Mark's read there too. He's like, "He might need help." Like. <laughs> He might need some help. And I love how I love how purposely he's not actually doing anything with this goddamn phone book, but he is so adamantly flipping through it just to not look at Carrie. Yeah, anything to look busy. It's some really good um, physical comedy from uh, yeah, Anthony very Edwards. understated. 
but we go from there uh we, we go to check in where doug is putting that chest tube in the 12 year old and uh carrie ostensibly comes in to assist but really she's just there because she's worried about his blood alcohol levels and doug picks up on this right away like you could feel he, he's not happy that she's entered the room first of all and he's doubly not happy that she's just kind of standing <laughs> over his shoulder and he very passive aggressively says to carol across the patient uh what's the What's the hourly rate for babysitting these days? <sighs> Yikes. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Doug and Carrie friction lately, so that was kind know, of a nice I'm, like, I'm reminder so excited that they for don't it. get along. I love, I love Doug and Carrie friction. Like That's my favorite adversarial relationship in the whole show. There's a lot of them, so there that's is. impressive. I'm, I'm just... Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to that in a little bit, but I uh, would go over to uh, Dr. Keaton and Benton talking about the talking about the upcoming surgery and she invites Carter to scrub in because he did so well in calming the patient down and actually getting her on the table. Exciting times. Which Carter's obviously thrilled. Like, of course I will. And then the cops come by um, asking to speak to Doug and at first he thinks it's about the shooting victim and he's like, oh yeah, they're in you know, trauma too, whatever. And they're like, actually, we're here to talk to you about Nadine Wilkes. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. So he gets taken into one of the treatment rooms to have a chit chat with the cops and they're asking like, you know, when did she start seizing? When did she pass? Um, you know, did you, did you write her anything in the middle of the night to keep her going? Cause you know, like, you know, that, that bar you were at, it's kind of a place for hinky folks. And you know, maybe, maybe you gave her a little something, but you're not that kind of guy, right? And then um, just real passive-aggressive bullshit. And then um, Mark comes in, and they're like, oh, yeah, we need to talk to you, too, just to get confirmation on some stuff. And it just kind of leaves it there. Like, there's no follow-up with the cop stuff. It's just, like, insinuating, like, hey, Doug, let's make you really feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, like I was like, what the fuck? Like, I understand, like, it's it might it's suspicious circumstances, especially with the drugs in her system. But, like, okay, so she has cocaine in her system. How do you get from cocaine to oh Him yeah writing you a prescription yeah you clearly, clearly wrote her an illegal prescription for he's, for something obviously that's what's he's going a, he's on he's an here. alchemist in the 1600s he wrote her a prescription for cocaine like what's yeah <laughs> bake him away toys but yeah so it's really just it's really just shoveling the shit onto Doug to make him feel worse and worse about this so he ends up with the kind of day he ends up having by the end of it fucking cops but then. From there, we go to the we go back to the colostomy, and Doctor Keaton is kind of teaching Carter about the internal anatomy of like younger patients and just how size differentials happen and stuff. And as she's doing that, um, she goes, "And how did you get Laura Lee into the ER without into the OR without sedatives or hired muscle?" Which is really cute. Like she's really proud of Carter for that. Um, and after that, we have a uh, genie telling the splint patient's friend that he'll be a little bit longer, and you know he say the you know jerry said he'll just take a cab uh oh god uh jerry gergich <laughs> has said he'll just take he'll just, he'll just take a cab home and lydia brings him more lydia brings uh the handsome gentleman some more pudding he's already finishing off one cup yeah and uh she and Hale both uh start sit down next on either side of him and asking what type of classes he takes uh, we find that uh, we find out he's a country dance instructor, and right. I love I love how he's like, oh, county's real friendly. <laughs> like, not like, not at all like everyone says. Yeah, <laughs> and they try to get him to dance, but there's no music. But they can fix that. Yeah, I love Hale. We can fix that. 
Like, ah, uh, Thirst Trap. Thirst Trap Lydia, on point. Yeah, Halei's been drafted into the Thirst Trap orbit. Halei's got some moves in this episode. Mm-hmm. So then we go from there. Uh, our next patient, Carol, is uh, setting up a young Asian girl with pelvic pain named Young Kubek. Uh, she doesn't, she speaks like some English, kind of broken English. Um, yeah. Basically, what we know at this point is that she's not pregnant. Her, her pregnancy test came back not positive. Uh, she does not want a pelvic exam from a male doctor. He's originally, or she's originally assigned to Doug, and Carol, kind of rightfully so, thinks better of that and thinks that you know she's not comfortable with a male doctor. We should get her either. I should do it, or we should find her a female doctor, which Doug takes immediate offense to because he's feeling very cornered and feeling very you know very put upon this episode so he, yeah. he takes immediate uh umbrage with that but mark kind of sides with carol and assigns maggie doyle to help carol instead of doug so we will we will circle back to uh this this patient in just a moment yeah doug, uh just everybody it's just it's a perfect fire for everybody being pissed at each other this episode yeah. and speaking of people being pissed at each other let's have a let's let's duke it out a little bit let's have some mark v doug you're overreacting, Doug. Hey, what is it with you? I got Carrie Weaver breathing down my neck. I got people partying like the Red Sea every time I walk down the hallway. You asked for a talk screen. It came back negative. You didn't get a blood alcohol, did you? How many times have you and I gone out for margaritas into the wee hours? You check your blood alcohol every morning? You check it? Huh. Unbelievable. Doug, let me tell you something as a friend. As a friend? No, so you can't be my friend and be my boss. You chose to be my boss. Listen, I don't need your sanctimonious approval of my life. Do me a favor. Don't come to me for tips on women anymore. If I choose to have a Roman orgy with farm animals in my free time, that is none of your business. That is none of anybody's business. I am a doctor here. I do my job. Nothing gets in the way of that. Nothing! Yeah. Today it did. Yeah. Today you brought a dying woman into this ER and you messed up everybody else's work, okay? That's a problem. If you don't see that, you don't belong here. You know what? I'll tell you what. Hello, everybody. Uh, Thought I'd check in and see how the first day of your pilot study's going. Medical surgical division, wasn't it? We still have a few kinks to work up, but let me uh, show you the board. Dr. Green, um, there's a single vehicle high-speed TC coming in. It looks extremely surgical. You want me to let Weaver know? Screw the new system. I'll take this one. You call surgical, get a consult down here. Mark, we're not finished yet. Yes, we are. Okay, so before I forget, I want to point out that during du- during Doug screaming about the Roman orgy, uh, Connie and Jerry are perfectly framed in the back, like, background of that shot, just slowly kind of focusing more and more on Doug. And like, you can tell that they've caught part of the conversation and now they're listening really intently. Like what the fuck is going on? And then Anspa comes in. I would also, I would, I would like to point out that um, if there are farm animals involved, it is someone's business. Like we should, that, that needs to stop. Like if, if there are farm animals involved in his Roman orgy, that is very much someone's business and that that needs to stop. Just need to point that out. I mean, that's just the Midwest. Jesus God Christ. damn it. <laughs> Lizzie. Uh, we call that a Milwaukee sunrise. We're Midwestern. Stop it. Oh. Oh. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the rest of this conversation, getting back to the emotional um, gravitas of the situation. How do we feel about where um, where Doug and Mark are at with their friendship right now? Uh, 
I think adversarial is uh, is it's putting it nicely. Like, do you think Mark's in the right for checking on him like it's, this? I think yes, hundred yeah. percent. Just like Daniel 100%. said, I I would a hundred percent agree. It's yeah, it's like he said, like. What you do on your own time is what you do on your own time, but when you make it everyone's business, then it then it becomes a problem. But I I also I don't like how he says you bring a dying woman in here and mess up everyone's work because it's like your job is dying. Yeah, women. the phrasing could the f- that part I have a little the, bit of the a, phrasing yeah. could be better, but the intent is the same. I think like it's it's the gist of what he's saying is like Lizzie said, like you're making it our business by bringing your personal life in here, you know, which is somewhat unfair because like nothing Doug did is her it, like what happened to her is not Doug's fault in any way you know like she right. knew she was epileptic she shouldn't have been drinking she shouldn't have been doing cocaine like he didn't like he did not supply her with those things with the full context of you know anything right like as we'll find as we'll find out later in the episode yeah. so i mean yes. like that part of it, like, it really is. It's just an unfortunate accident. It's an unfortunate thing that had to happen that, and it's it's doubly unfortunate that she dies. But, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think that's Doug's fault. Like, is it true that he lives a very fast and very, like, probably unsustainable personal lifestyle? Sure. But, like he said, nothing, nothing that he does outside of work impacts his job or impacts his ability to do his job. So... Right. Yeah, it, it's a very difficult situation here, and and I I like that they're exploring this angle of of their friendship and of their relationship. I like that they're exploring, you know, the complexities of being friends with somebody who is also your boss, or in Mark's case, being friends with somebody who you have to be their boss. Like that, that's a very complex situation to navigate personally, and um, you know, so it, it's. I think it's good that they're exploring that in this way. Um, so then we have Doyle and Carol working on that pelvic exam and Doyle is very stressed out and goes, Oh my God, I haven't done one of these in six months. And Carol says like, it's okay. I've assisted a million and they go through the pelvic exam together and they get the necessary specimens. And this was another part of the episode where I was just like, Ugh. like, no, they had the clicky noise and everything. And I was just like, no, I'm good let's let's move on mm. so we don't find out what's up with her there's no more follow-through on this episode it's just giving doyle and carol a little more chance to work together nicely um but then <laughs> dr keaton says oh benton why don't you go speak to laura's laura's guardian mrs armitage you know like i don't know if it's her mom or her grandma or what but it's like go you know mrs armitage go speak with her and um She's really concerned about Laura's well-being and Benton's like, oh, well, you know, because he first starts trying to explain what the post-op situation is going to look like. And Abby has to step in and goes, no, we know that routine. You know, what about from a well-being standpoint? What about like, like, how is she going to do? And Benton's just like, oh, you know, well, we have a therapist here that she can talk to and it'll be fine. (sighs) Like, just super, like, clearly on the spot, not used to talking about this shit and abby then has to sit um sit down for a heart-to-heart with mrs armitage because benton is just recommending the shrink so abby sits down and it's like hey you know she's a teenager she's gonna start rebelling she's gotten through the surgeries before hopefully this will be her last one you just have to be there and be the adult oof benton 
Oof. Got work to do. So then we go from there, uh, follow Carter down to the ER where he meets up with Mark because he's been called down for a surgical consult. And he mentions offhandedly that he got a postcard from Susan. And this is Carter I'm speaking of, not Mark. Uh, Carter mm-hmm. got a post. He says, Dr. Lewis is the only person he knows who would send a postcard from O'Hare. And Mark's like, you got a card? He's like, yeah, didn't you? No. <laughs> Ugh. Fucked that one up, Mark. Uh, and as we pass by the, the chairs area, you see that the uh, gentleman, Mickey, from earlier is uh, given an impromptu dance lesson to Lydia and Hale. So they fig- they figured out some music for him. Yay. Uh, and then we go back over. Um, uh, a woman shows up looking for, for Doug. And I did, I did include the end little music here just because it sounds so weird and out of place. And I want y'all to hear it but, well, before we talk about it. And I have a theory about it. After the fact, I, f- I had a theory on why it might be the way it is, but okay. let's give it a listen. Hey, Doug. Hey. Hey, Helen. I seen you in a long time. How have you been? I have been well. And yourself? I can't complain. Uh, this lady's looking for you. Okay. Have a nice dinner. Thank you. Hi. Uh... Do I know you? I'm Claire Wilkes. You worked on my sister, Nadine. Uh, I'm sorry. I just wish there was more that we could have done. Nadine died just like she lived. Drunk, high, and alone. Actually, a friend brought her in. I know what kind of friends she had at 4 a.m. Did she have a, a, a medical condition that we didn't know about? Wasn't she wearing a bracelet? Nadine was an epileptic. She knew she wasn't supposed to drink, but that didn't stop her. Can I see her? Sure. The coroner's office still has to do a, an, an autopsy, so that's why the, the tubes are still in there. She had so much to give. A fire in her. And then when the seizures started, it just made her lose her confidence somehow. She could always find the guys to help her sink just a little lower. Chip away at her self-esteem. Whenever you were looking for Nadine, I hope you found it. <laughs> okay. So, what part do we want to touch on the first? Let's talk about that music. Let's get that out. So, of the can way. I tell you what my th- can I tell you what my theory is? Yeah. Because immediately after this, it goes into another sequence with Mickey and the country music. So my thought is, is that's why it sounds like it's a Western, 
to blend in with some of the other country. I'm not saying like it's diegetically sure, supposed to sure. be that way, but I'm saying like tonally it just it fits that because otherwise it sounds like they're in like a 1920s um, detective noir. <laughs> Or a western. Yeah, I thought it sounded less like a western and more of like a noir story. Well, I was like, that... to me, it almost sounded like the yeah, like the like the. Yeah. I, mean, I could see both. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's definitely yeah. it's out of like character for what we've come to expect for these type of like little interstitial yeah. pieces. Yeah, especially this. Very odd. Also, it was really it was really jarring for me because. Um, I don't refer to myself as epileptic. I refer to myself as a person with epilepsy. Just because there's been some linguistic debates between the two. And by saying epileptic, you're reducing a person just to their disorder and blah, 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 blah. So I tend to go with person with a seizure disorder or person with epilepsy. So it was just really like, I was like, oh, yeah, epileptic is, you know, also a term that it goes by. It's just not something I really hear anymore. So that just kind of was strange to me but um just you know talking about how language and medicine evolves and how semantics change but um yeah I, when she said she wasn't wearing her bracelet that tapped into one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to go out do something fun not necessarily cocaine and tequila <laughs> with Doug Ross but still go do something fun and not have my med alert tag on me so if I'm not with Lizzie or one of the other like 20 people in my life that I would be with for fun things who know about my epilepsy it's like no one's gonna know like <laughs> and that's such a scary thing when you think about how you know focused and specialized things it, things are when you can easily narrow down what your course of treatment is if you have your medications and your disorder listed on your med alert tag so the fact that I was just like a, she wasn't wearing her bracelet I was like oh no I'm not gonna wear my necklace and I'm gonna die like sweetheart it was a very it was a very upsetting episode for me and i i i struggle a lot and like luckily i'm i'm pretty straight edge at this point because of it um i was not through college when i was originally diagnosed i was a dumb college student that was my form of rebellion after i was diagnosed at 19 and now i am the complete other end of it because i'm good i don't want to have any more seizures ever and if i can prevent it then i'm gonna prevent it but um yeah, so just like, it just oof, oof, oof. Hit oof. a little too close to home. It was a rough one, little bit. Like there was there was one moment where we had to pause the episode, and I had to have Lizzie just give me give me a little squeeze and tell me that I'm not gonna like have a case of SUDEP, which is another horrifying thing. Sudden unidentified death of pers- of an epileptic person's. Oof. Yeah, we yeah, <laughs> people with epilepsy just uh. sometimes die. Oof. like <laughs> okay yeah it's fucked up so yeah i had to i we had to take our little real life pause moment during this episode and during notes to have lizzie reassure me that i am fine and this this was a rough one gang this was <laughs> oof. so oof, oof, how oof. about uh we hard pivot <laughs> yeah. again yeah jesus as, Talk, this whole episode is one giant as, as pivot if, like round and round we go we didn't need another Another rough cut in this episode. We go right over to uh, back to the the chairs area where the country music uh, dance instructor is now giving a group lesson to like everyone in chairs, pretty much. Uh, Jeannie walks up to give him the news that his friend is up next for uh, to see the orthodox, and he just kind of grabs her and pulls her into dance, which 
you can tell like she is so shy and bashful and like doesn't want it which i identify with completely i hate dancing but like it's 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 a very cute scene don't get me wrong and we see Carrie watching, and then it turns to this weird slow motion filter yeah. over Jeannie yeah. laughing while she's dancing, which we have not seen since uh, Carol's welcome back party in season one, like the third or fourth yep. episode when she, they have that party for her in the lounge, and it for no reason at all goes to that slow-mo filter. They, they held off on using it again for two seasons, but here it is again. And uh, it goes away just as quickly as it shows up because Jeannie rushes off uh, to go do some uh, or rushes off with some x-rays that she's uh, holding on to. So, yeah, just kind of a weird scene and especially following what we had just seen. Like, it's a very hard pivot. They do the weird slow-mo thing and then it's over just as quickly as it begins. Like, it's... It's like they're doing a preemptive memorial for Jeannie. Like, Jesus Christ, she's not yeah, dead it's, yet. It, it's just very odd. It's very, very odd. And I mean, I know that they're kind of building towards something with the two of them as we go to the end of the episode, but I think you could have achieved the same effect without this scene. Like, I don't, I don't think you needed this yeah. scene here. I think this is just kind of superfluous. Agreed. Um, and then we go and we check on Carol and her mom having dinner at Doc Magoo's. And her mom's just giving her shit about buying a house. And like, you can't live on a nurse as if you're on a doctor's wife's paycheck or whatever. And You like, can't live on a nurse's salaries. Uh, and live a doctor's wife's lifestyle. Thank you. I have no idea what just came out of my mouth, but it wasn't that. Um, but yeah, and like you can't, you shouldn't buy a house. An apartment's big enough for a single woman. You don't want to get married. And then um, her mom hands her a check to finish the roofing and the plumber work that needs to be done. And Carol's like, I can't take the money. I can't even take a loan for this. Like, what do you know? And her mom's like, well, can you take it as a kind of rent instead of a loan? Hmm. 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 Wonder what's going to happen with that. Uh, and then we quick pop, quick pop over for our next audio. Uh, Benton is looking through uh, Dr. Keaton's awards, and they're having a chat. Pediatric Surgeon of the Year? The Price Award? <laughs> it's very prestigious. I wanted to tell you I was really pleased with how the Armitage surgery went. Well, you know, thanks for the opportunity. You're a gifted surgeon, and you do really well in the OR. It's uh, outside the operating room where you need work. Peter, pediatric surgery focuses on the child, not just the illness. That mother needed something from you today, and you acted as though your job was over as soon as you took the surgical gloves off. You've got great hands. Now you've got to show some heart. Well, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Learn. I love that line so much. Don't be sorry. Learn. I feel like that could apply to so many things in life, too, especially these mm -hmm. days. Lizzie, would you agree? Absolutely. Like, people, just shut the fuck up and... Might learn something. Admit, admit you're not the best at everything. Or, like, even with something as simple as, you know, someone's pronouns. Don't fawn. Don't over-apologize. Just get it right. Yeah, mom. <laughs> I was not naming names, but the likelihood that your mom's ever going to listen to this podcast is slim enough to, to none that... Yeah, Linda. Added on a podcast. <laughs> But yeah, so I definitely, I think it's great the way she says it, though. Like, it's a little compliment sandwich. Like, <laughs> you're a great surgeon, 
but Jesus, your your interpersonal skills need work. So we go from there to a few quick hitters here. We see Carter yelling at the one-hour photo place over the phone because they can't get the slides done in time. They're too busy working on George's picture, as we noticed back at the what else is on section. Uh, we also see E-Ray uh, stretching in the admit desk area, which I just need to make note of E-Ray's absolutely stellar tie-dye lab coat. I am a big fan of yes. his tie-dye lab coat. Same. They can shall we, have them. Can we just have more E-Ray? I, know. Like, I, I was really shocked when he sh- when he popped up and I saw just how like comparatively few episodes he's in based on like compared with what I thought. We- I, is it just me or have we not seen Randy in a yeah, while? We haven't seen Randy. Well, I think she was in last episode, but she wasn't. Uh, she wasn't speaking; mm. like she just appears in the background. Because um, she's still yeah. around for sure. Um, but e- e- and is Timmy, Timmy gone? Is, oh, yeah, t- Timmy's, yeah, Timmy's way Timmy's gone. gone. Timmy, Timmy left us uh, late, somewhere late in season one. And um, my bad. We totally missed it. I think we we I think we marked on it at some point in season two. Um, but he's gone until I believe season nine or ten. Like he's yeah, it's whenever we just we just watched it. Sam's yeah. mom comes mm. comes around. He's, he's gone for a while. We just watched a later season episode with him, and I am amazed at how different he mm-hmm. looks when he comes back. Yeah. I like Timmy. I I was sorry that Timmy didn't have a more a more definitive run. I I like. I like Timmy. Yeah. Uh, and then we also see here at the desk, we see Carol tearing out a pre-med page from the course catalog in E-Ray's book, which, you know, we, we touched on this mm. last episode that I said they were planting seeds for this storyline. I did not realize that they were starting this storyline, like, now. Like, I thought they yeah, were I thought they were planting it. seeds for, like, you know, later this season or maybe even into next season. No, this is starting now, and that's crazy to me, but... It's yeah. happening! Uh, and then we wind up. We wind down the storyline of you know the of Mister of Mister Handsome, Mister Mickey. Yeah, Mickey. Um, he's uh, it's so cute. Mm. It's so cute. He asks Jeannie out on a date in mm. like the like the most sweet and sincere way you can possibly ask someone out on a date. Someone and, you don't know. Yeah, and Jeannie. I can't. Yeah, Jeannie very sweetly, very sweetly turns him down, and he's saddened by this. Mm. But I, uh, but I mean, the obvious implication being that she doesn't, she doesn't want to be in a relationship because yeah. she's afraid. Yeah. I yeah. also want to point out: um, is handsome friend of patient guy not enough notes for you to know someone's <laughs> name? In my in my note taking skills, I don't know, McDreamy. No, that's I'm just saying, the, like, very different show. The the. Nope. Yeah. God forbid I catch his name and put down Mickey on the notes for you. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, it's a very sweet sequence. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Hopefully you watched this episode with us. And if not, well, mm, um, yeah, it's a very sweet moment. And again, Glory Rubin, mm, sweetheart, you're playing it wonderfully. Um, so then we have Benton goes and he stops by Carla's restaurant and... Uh, he's like, uh, is Carla here tonight? Uh, it's Peter Benton. I'm I'm looking for her. and like, oh, you're Peter Benton. Okay, we'll see you at the bar. And um, Carla sees him and like sneaks up on him and is like, oh, come on, come look at it. And she drags him around to give him the tour and everything. And as she's giving him the tour in the kitchen, he just drags his hand over the food prep area. And I'm like, you of all people right. should know how important it is to not touch shit. And then she makes some comment about like, oh, you didn't come all the way out here just for some, just for some food. Or like, you must have been hungry to come all the way out here or some innuendo yeah, like the that. The line is, like, it's gross. They're, they're going to 
yeah, they're gonna do it. The the exact the exact well, line, which I have no intention of repeating, but it just trust me, it's gross. Like it's it goes beyond innuendo. I don't like it is for and the the look they give each yeah, other for a too. network TV show, even at ten o'clock at night, it's like guys get a room. Like it is. It's not. It's not that obscene. It's just. It's a, a lot. horny ass line. I'll say that much. It is a horny ass line. <laughs> You're a horny ass line. <laughs> that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what else is a horny ass line? The L. What happens next, Lizzie? Uh wow. Just the, a horny ass line. It's horny a line. Ass train line. Yeah, it's a line. It's a train track. It's a line. They call them the lines. Pink line, red line. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say there has to be some innuendo in there with the pink line and the round well, line. Okay. Round line. Oh. Uh, uh, I worry about so much. All right, what happens next? Uh, we have our last audio nightmare. of the episode. Carol's up at the uh, our the all familiar L stop uh, and sees Doug. This isn't your line. Uh, that's a buck down the drain. A uh, girl came in this afternoon who's Nadine Wilkes sister oh she came in to uh, id her she just thought that i was another caring doctor and i let her go right on thinking that because that's what i want everybody to think hey carol I really did it this time. You came up here for what? Crying my shoulder? Tell me how worthless you really are deep down inside? And I'd say, no, you're not, Doug. You're one hell of a guy. And you'd be able to live with yourself until the next time? No. No, thanks. I'm just not playing. You're on your own. I didn't know she was sick. You didn't know her at all. Um, I've missed them together so, so much. much. Holy shit. And also... I miss the sound of the train. I don't go anywhere anymore. And the L just sounds like home. I know. I can still hear the sound of our light rail from our apartment. Like, if I have the window cracked open, I can hear the uh, the train coming and going. On um on properly, on, on days where the wind is going in the right direction and it's not too loud out, we can hear the train from a few blocks away, but it's not, the not same. quite the same. We'll have to go on an adventure. Yeah, you need to go on an adventure to see, to visit Carol's house. Like I, I tagged, I tagged Lauren Jesus. in the post. Like Car- I saw that Carol's house has sh- an address. Sh- you can go visit it. Like we need it. Do it for the ground. I showed Lizzie. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if it's in a neighborhood we want to go to. Um, but uh, yeah, props to Carol for setting boundaries. Yeah. Like I'm not playing that. You didn't like, no, Yeah. I'm not playing your shit, Doug. Yeah. Just getting in, getting, like you said, that glimpse back into their chemistry again. It makes you excited. It makes you want to see more. Because they've both grown, like, yeah, Doug's in the middle of some shit right now, but they've both grown so yeah, much. Yeah, this is the first, like, do you realize this is the first meaningful conversation that they have had on screen since her wedding? 
like since there has to have been at least one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm yeah, not saying I've they've heard, never. I'm not saying, I'm not saying they've never interacted, but I'm saying meaningful. But about their relationship, like, I'm talking about like not just two yeah. coworkers slash you know friends passing in the hallway talking about just their day. But I'm talking about like a real conversation. This is right. the first time the two of them have been on screen together, having this type of a conversation since her wedding. Like, and just think about how different those characters have become and how much they've grown in that time. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. So then we finish up the episode with Doug going back into his into his apartment, cleaning up all of the uh, drinks and stuff from the night before. And as he's doing this, he's listening to his answering machine, and it's full of women, call it, random women. You know, they met at a conference or they met at a bar, and they want to you know hang out or whatever. And he's just kind of like absentmindedly walking through the apartment, cleaning stuff up. Goes into his bathroom to clean up in there and discovers Nadine's epilepsy medical alert bracelet in his bathroom and does like a slow gives him the Clooney smolder and like kind of slowly looks up as he looks at himself in the mirror and I uh, thought that that's where they were going to end the episode but they do actually follow him back out into the the living room where he hits the button on the answering machine and erases all the messages from all the random women so maybe some character growth from Doug coming out of this who knows but from there, we fade to black and the episode ends. Yeah, so here's my question with the Metal Alert bracelet, since it's the big, you know, mystery for the episode is, do we think that she ditched it on purpose once she got to the house? Or do you think she was wasted and it fell off mm. in the bathroom while she was snorting a line or freshening up? I thought, I think she intentionally yeah. took it off. That was always my impression based on how her sister was talking about her, I think- but... Because it seems like a thing that she hasn't, she has done in the past, mm. and suffered. I think he picks it up off of the um, sink area. Like I don't think it's on the ground or anything. Like, so yeah, I, like the ring. The I, rim I definitely don't sink, buy that yeah. it fell off or anything like that. But I could see, I could see a couple of different scenarios playing out. I could see it being a personal thing of hers, where like she doesn't want to have to think about it. Like you said, there's a there's a bit of rebellious thing when it comes to chronic yeah. issues like that so like there could be this situation where yep. she's like well i just i'm gonna have fun tonight i'm not gonna think about it so i'm gonna take this thing off so i don't have to think about it and that's it and so he won't and so he won't and see then there's and that too like and... she's she knows she's hanging out with a doctor like she doesn't want him harsh in her buzz so she's like i'm gonna take this off or you know just she was washing her hands and she took it off and just forgot that's another possibility too right so you know, it's. I'm gonna say something, and I don't know if this is terrible or not, but I feel like them implying that she took it off is a way for the audience to be able to blame her instead of Doug. Yeah, it's a it's a, a it's a a way to absolve him, like of any guilt. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, I can definitely see. I mean, because they need to yeah, do it's... that in a way. I mean, they because Nadine's gone, and and Nadine's not a character that we're ever gonna follow up on, so they need to sort of redeem him in some way because we are going to have to continue to follow Doug. But right. yeah, I mean, you're right. It is a little bit of, it, it drifts into kind of shitty victim blaming a little bit. Yeah. So that was just my thought, but do we have any other thoughts for this episode? I love this episode. I, I as, yeah. as like you said, it, I'm sure it was traumatic for you to go through because of your personal connection to the main storyline, but it's, yeah, when it's the I, best one so far this season. When I realized what episode it was, because like I saw the title, 
and I saw how it was opening and I was like, oh, it's this episode. And I remember, like, I wrote you during, and I was like, oh, this is going to be real fun. And you were like, oh, shit, Lauren, yeah, I'm like, sorry. Yeah, that didn't, <laughs> like, honestly, didn't even we... occur to me as I was watching it. I was just, like, I was so engaged in the story and so so drawn in that I didn't yeah. even think about that. And then as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that does suck. All right, so I've had a hyper-triggering episode. Lauren has had a hyper-triggering yep. episode. You're up next, If anybody Daniel. cuts their yep. thumb off in any episode, <laughs> we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> when when Romano gets his when we'll, Romano we'll gets find, his arm cut off by that helicopter, that's that'll be my day. We'll find something for you, Daniel. But yeah, no. Overall, like yeah, it was. I finally understand in truth what the word triggering means. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like it's such a well done episode. And yeah, there's a little bit of victim blaming in there, but that's just ER. They tend to do that sometimes when they need to absolve the main cast. Fine, whatever. Um, but on the whole, it was a really engaging episode, and I really enjoyed it. And I think Clooney does a great job with how he carries Doug's conflict through the whole yeah. episode. It's it's took the words right out of my mouth. I tend to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, we yeah. need to let you go before me. From <laughs> no, now it's on. totally fine. It's, it's totally a Clooney fine. episode through and through. The best the... one we've had, I think, since yeah. Hell and High Water for sure. That showcases Clooney. Agreed. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan.U. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me likely finally ending my Twitter hiatus at my personal Twitter, at Lobob92345. Taking a bit of a break right now. You can also find me on Twitter, relentlessly doom scrolling at uh, Random Gamer. that's J-A-M-3-R. Uh, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda with new episodes of that out every Friday. You can find those videos and more and uh, you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash the popular court. And thanks again everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. Bye.